It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Brian Rowley, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode is all about the ongoing concerns surrounding deforestation and climate change, where the efforts currently stand and the role technology is playing in that. Our guest, Topher White, is the CEO and founder of Rainforest Connection. Welcome to the show, Topher. How are you? Oh, Brian, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. Yeah, Topher, I'm so excited about this. Um, You know, we've obviously had a little bit of a conversation, and um, I'm excited to share some, some more detail in regards to that conversation with our broader audience today. But let, let's start from the sort of the beginning. You know, you got into computers early and later studied physics and engineering in college. You know, I'd love to understand a little bit from you. What was the defining moment for you that sort of made you put all your effort into protecting the rainforest? Wow. Oh, so, uh, I think for me, it was kind of being in the right place at the right time and then momentum built around it. So, uh, see, when this all started, I was working in France, actually, at a, a fusion, nuclear fusion laboratory, uh, working in a place called ITER, uh, with a bunch of colleagues from around the world trying to, to you know, build a nuclear fusion reactor, which these days is coming online. Um, but I sort of went on vacation to Indonesia uh, and, and realized I was going to go out there to, to protect, you know, to volunteer a place protecting gibbons. Um, but I had this idea, like in keeping track of technology, that there was this this version IoT was coming on. There was this whole new like wave of people really wanting to try and build IoT devices. And it was largely about marketing new hardware. But the hardware still wasn't very efficient at that point. Uh, it was like, you know, uh, you know, these are development kits for you know sensors in the environment. And it sort of struck me that cell phones, old smartphones were really, really good, uh, you know, proxy for this. And so this was on my mind uh, when I went out in the forest um, that we could use these old devices for it. And then went out there, was a volunteer to give them reserve, realized that they uh, weren't able to catch illegal loggers in their in their area and figured that devices could could accomplish that and all of the sort of components were there uh, pitched the idea to them and they said yes please build that which we'll get to later I guess so let, let me just step back for a second so you sure. were starting out with a new creating a nuclear fusion reactor did I hear that correctly Not me. I was I was a part of an enormous team uh, part of an enormous team out there trying to accomplish that yeah <laughs> pretty pretty amazing pretty amazing. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit. So, I mean, you talk about sort of the start, what sort of brought you there. Um, can we cover some of the, I mean, some, what are some of the challenges? I mean, I mean, this was such a huge undertaking. Illegal logging, obviously, is something that many of us, in fact, all of us should be, you know, focused on and, and something that we should be, you know, thinking about. But talk to me a little bit about some of the challenges from the onset that you encountered. Well, I, the trying getting this on, it wasn't really about uh, trying to stop illegal logging on as a whole. It started with just focusing on one area and one group that we thought could, you know, we could build something for, uh, and that really became a proxy for so much more of what we do. Uh, this is a group on the ground who had people there, but weren't able to know where logging was taking place, uh, and so we figured, oh, we can help you know where logging is taking place, and from there it just spiraled on and on and on into all the different things we could build to support their work on the ground, um, and it was only through starting that project with them in Indonesia 
can we make it possible for people there to know where logging is taking place so they can stop it in real time? That was when people started coming to us and telling to us, uh, you know, saying to us how much illegal logging means to to the world. Uh, I was unaware at that point, despite the fact that I was working in nuclear fusion and these other areas that have to do with climate change energy. I was unaware how much um, legal logging contributes to climate change. Uh, I was unaware that deforestation is up to a fifth of all the carbon emissions every year uh, and that illegal logging, like up to 90 percent of it, uh, of logging everywhere in the world is illegal. And it's this gateway activity by which, uh, you know, people go in and extract very expensive trees. They can make so much money illegally from doing this that they'll cut roads through the forest. Those roads allow people in, they'll come, they'll burn the forest, they'll create farms and the forest disappears. And in doing so, that's where a fifth of all the carbon emissions come from. So if you can stop the illegal logging, you can stop the, the roads. And if you stop the roads, you stop the wholesale destruction. So it's so, just so crazy that by helping people on the ground with a few tech tools, that they could be the difference between, um, you know, major carbon emissions and none at all. Uh, so that was sort of got how we got into it. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, one would say, and we'll, we'll get into the technology here in a second, but, you know, as we sort of look at this, one would say, okay, if there are loggers that are out there, it would be pretty obvious, right? I mean, obviously taking down a large amount, a single tree or a large amount of tree, I mean, there's pretty um, loud equipment that would be needed in order to, to be able to take that tree down. So so the obvious question, I think, for many would be why, I mean, you would hear it. So, so what is the need for some of this additional, uh, for these this additional technology? You, you would hear that if you were a ranger or something. And I get that, you know, the rainforest is a large area, but I mean, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it, it would emit a, a tremendous amount of sound. So why isn't that just enough? Well, even so, it can commit uh, definitely emit sound that can you know be heard a kilometer you know or so away. But uh, that's actually not that far in the forest. So as you say, it is a very large area. And even so, um, it's not always about whether it's possible to hear for people on the ground. It's whether it's possible for people to know a little bit outside of where it is. So uh, mm-hmm. usually, you know, there's two different ways logging takes place. Sometimes it's you know small scale logging. Sometimes it's large industrial operations. Um, uh, in the latter case, of course, local people may know about it, but they have no power to stop it whatsoever. Um, and so sometimes making getting that information about what's happening in real time out to groups that are further away than just directly local uh, can make a difference in supporting them uh, and giving them what they need to go stop it. Um, but it, the other thing about the force is that it's so noisy, right? So <laughs> if, if, you, if you fire up a chainsaw down the block, it's unimaginable that somebody's not going to hear it for blocks away. Um, but when right. there's trees and mountains and things like that in the way, it, it, it can't make a difference. But um, the ways in which we're trying to stop this is, you know, not us, but like in general is with satellites and drones and, and community enforcement, things like that. But uh, sound really travels through the forest. Sound is the, is, is the one thing that can, that can permeate like large amounts of forest. Um, and you can sort of see this in the animals that are there, how they communicate. Uh, so that's, we're trying to sort of leverage that because a camera out there, you're not going to see more than 20, 30 feet in front of you. Um, right. but sound, you can hear what's happening all over the place. Well, and it's kind of, it, it, sorry, it's it's kind of interesting because when I was, again, prepping and having sort of the, the conversation and doing some research on this prior, I, I did watch one of the TED Talk videos that you had done. And there's a video that you had played in there. And it was amazing to me, you know, the amount of noise just that's produced by wildlife in the rainforest mm. and just how loud that actually was. So I asked that question um, only because, you know, for most of our listeners, they're probably thinking, hey, if my neighbor, you know, starts up their chainsaw, it's pretty loud for me, right? So <laughs> why isn't that the same sort of environment that we're we're hearing out in the rainforest? But it really is. It is quite loud. It is quite loud. And there's a lot of stuff in the way. Uh, but, you know, it's 
that's that's the one thing that can travel through the forest is sound, and it's hard to pick it out. It's hard for us to distinguish between what's uh, you know a, a loud a loud monkey or a bunch of birds or insects and, and a chainsaw. But computers are really good at this, so uh, it is it is a it's a great use of technology to be able to uh, to filter out the the noise from what we're looking for. But there's some there's something really interesting about the forest that's it's hard to imagine unless you're there or, or it's sort of shown to you is that it's such a dynamic place like we, we think of nature and forest as a calm you know relaxed kind of place it's not like that in the tropical rainforest it's, it's so dynamic things are turning over it's a, it's a constant struggle for survival for everything that's there uh, and it's been like that for millions and millions of years so uh the same way that these trees will constantly you know compete with each other every sort of block of sunlight that breaks through the canopy will eventually be grown over uh with with so much more the soundscape is sound kind of like that as well. All the species that have evolved there are, are competing and finding their own niche. So um, every part of the, every single frequency that's not sort of occupied by some animal's call will be filled by another's. And then they'll also choose their like times of day and night. So you have honestly every single frequency from, from, from top to bottom that's filled with some animal asserting itself and making itself known and communicating. And that's where this cacophony of noise comes from. It's, it's really very magical. So let's talk about the technology aspect for a second. So the device um, that, that, that you uh, um, brought and introduced into to the rainforest is, is a device called the Guardian, and it's a listening device, which honestly looks really, really cool. Can, can you talk to us a little bit more about that, exactly what the devices do and exactly what it, what it measures? Thank, I mean, so thanks for saying it looks cool. In many ways, it's kind of utilitarian in, in going for that. Uh, the... It is, in the start, we first began on this, it was really a cell phone in a box um, or a smartphone in a box up in the treetops uh, that could capture all the sound, recording it, connect the cell phone networks that do exist out in the periphery of the forest, you know, several kilometers in, uh, and then stream that up to the cloud where we were picking out the sounds of threats, like chainsaws, logging trucks, gunshots, and then, and then sending alerts back to people um, on the ground. Now, that's a great way to uh, to make it sound pretty simple, but the truth is that out in the forest, you know, that takes a lot of energy. So you have to have solar panels, you have to have a powerful microphone, you have to put it in a place that's uh, that has light, you have to put it in a place that can pick up cell phone service, which of course in both cases is the tops of trees. Um, and you have to make sure it can it can last in an area that's not really designed for technology and is a very aggressive place like the, the wet, hot, uh, tropical rainforest full of insects that want to tear things apart. So um, in many ways we had to mimic the in terms of the design of it, we had to mimic what you see the trees doing. So uh, the solar panels almost look like large flower petals uh, that sort of branch out because you're not going to get that much light coming through the tree canopy, and we have to pick up every little bit of it that we can, um, and we have to make sure that it kind of blends into the treetops so people don't see it and uh, and you know take the tree down to to, to get rid of it. Um, we have to make sure it can stand up to you know monkeys and birds who come and inquisitively look look at it. We have to make sure it can continue to. Uh, pick up sound from from far away, um, so the microphone can't get too damaged. Uh, and you have to deal with the fact that it rains from literally every direction. It rains upward. I think that wasn't a, a line from Forrest Gump, but I promise you, it's true. <laughs> Even in the tops of a, of, a, of of you know trees, the rain comes upward from the bottom. Uh, and these are things you have to have the technology kind of put up with. Um, in many ways, that that's where this design came from. It, it's almost, you know, iterating uh, on nature, biomimicry in a sense. I'm actually curious, have you ever um, incorporated a camera in, in anything just to be able to see the reaction of some of the wildlife to it actually out there? <laughs> well, it's funny. Sometimes you, you, there's like stories you can tell, because again, we're streaming 24 hours a day. You can listen. Right. In fact, any of the, re the, the readers can too. And occasionally really cool stuff happens. Like a bird will come and they'll peck at it, or you'll hear a monkey come up and like, you know, pull around on it, or you think that's what, what's happening. There's been no cameras on the outside, but for 
When we first put them up in Indonesia, here's a story from the beginning. Someone was like, you know what? Orangutans, they're so curious. They're going to come and they're just going to tear it apart. And I was just, and so what we did is that, because these were smartphones inside and they all have kind of front facing cameras. And so I was really like, there was a light sensor. The one that, if the box opened, it would take a, take a selfie and then send that to us. And so I was just okay. waiting for the day that some orangutan ripped it apart. So we'd get that, that, that selfie. Um, never happened though, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, well, when it does, you're going to come back and tell us all about that. Oh, sure. you got you, you got you. You got you. <laughs> so, so after the Guardian sort of detects sort of the, that, those potential signs of illegal logging, uh, how do you use that data to actually put a stop to it? Well, um, again, what the Guardian does, well, it can do some onboard processing. Uh, a lot of what it's trying to do is get the, all the audio out in, in real time, <laughs> or as close to that, uh, up to the cloud, which takes a huge amount of energy. Um, but, you know, getting up to the cloud, that's where we're able to run it, run through all sorts of processing. Uh, and let's just say that we pick up a chainsaw on the ground. Then it will trigger alert, um, not only to us, but to any, any partners that are interested in it. Um, but we'll see the people there on the ground. So this is indigenous groups, it's NGOs, it's governments, it's anyone who, who sort of is our host and is interested in stopping this. And then we'll immediately start coordinating with them uh, to, to listen uh, to the audio, confirm that it's there, and begin organizing a response. Um, along the way, from the very start, there was a premise, and this was kind of our theory of change, that if people knew what was happening there, they would stop it, because this is what they told us. Um, but more and more and more, as we work with groups that are less, um, you know, incredibly well-equipped or paramilitarized, uh, if we can call it that, uh, to be able to mm -hmm. go stop it. It takes a lot of confidence to go out and do that. And that confidence comes from support from a distance. It comes from understanding what you're getting into, like how many trucks, how many people. And so we've, we found that our, that our kind of real-time response, even if the detection is automatic and they know just as much as we do, um, our immediate support in, uh, in speaking to them about what to do next is a huge part of the, um, the incentive to go stop it. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was um, when I was watching one of the videos that you had, uh, there's a clip that you play there, which I found that which was really kind of interesting because I think the natural reaction is, oh, of course, like you know what's happening, you're alerted that it's happening, and then you know exactly where it's happening, so you just go and stop it. And and part of the footage was you got to the point at which um, you knew what was happening, but yet it was like up a hill and you were somewhat reluctant to go up that hill. You finally did. But um, just the, the the unknown of what you were going to be confronted with, I can only imagine, right, if not equipped appropriately, could could be, you know, dangerous and, and actually a little bit nerve wracking, right? I, well, I, I, I think the clip you're talking about is like the very first test ever of this thing in Indonesia. Um, where again, this has been some idea that I pitched to these guys like better part of a year earlier, they were like, yes, please build that. I went back, had no idea what I was doing. I was trying to solve technical problems, like how do you get sunlight and the rest. Took it out to Indonesia. It's, I'm still putting it together. We're still writing the software. I'm there on my own and like put it up in a tree on the second day and like it picks up a chainsaw and we're there. And all, and like no one had really heard it in the distance. Uh, and then everyone sort of quieted down. Like, so at that point I wasn't climbing trees. This guy climbs up, puts it there, comes back down. They're all smoking cigarettes at the bottom. And then like I get an alert on my phone and everyone sort of listens and they hear it and these guys just take off, you know, these grangers take off. The second day I'm in the forest, in the rainforest, and we get to the edge of this logging thing and I have no idea what's about to happen. Like, I'm, just, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm in just bizarro land in the middle of the forest about to confront loggers. And uh, I'm really glad that that was captured on camera because uh, you can tell just how naive I was about the entire thing at the time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can only imagine. Um, so, so let me ask you this question. I mean, obviously, technologies like AI, machine learning, and obviously sensors and all that—they're all maturing, right? So, 
Are, are you able to leverage some of those new technologies to sort of improve and expand on what's already there to maybe, you know, to, to better detect sounds and sort of collect the data that you're collecting or collect more of it? Or how do you see AI sort of playing into this and some of that uh, that technology sort of helping make this even better? Absolutely. So in our case, um, we, we want to use AI for more and more things. Like just building a threat detection system is not is not our, our primary goal. Um because once you start detecting forests, you have to generate value in it for the people there uh, to make sure it remains protected. So it's more and more what we can pull out of the sound. And that's why we are getting into bioacoustics, what animals and species can we track, what are the things the animals are saying, what can they tell us about the threats that are there. And that increase, that, that requires a more, uh, you know, a greater and greater sophistication to the uh, AI that's, that's looking into it. Um, there's also a hybrid approach that we're looking towards. So again, I mentioned that uh, everything gets streamed off the device up to the cloud. That takes a huge amount of energy. So everything related to power generation is very large for us. Um, but on the the flip side, you want to be able to do things both on the device and off when you can't. So we're doing more AI direct, directly on the device. So clearly the increased processing power that we take for granted these days is, is a huge boon for us. Um, but the, if you can stream audio out of the forest, you can stream almost anything out. That is a heavy medium of data. Uh, and so the more sensors we're able to cram into this, we think of these as, uh, as, as almost like stations um, that are sort of cheap to put together and put up as, uh, you know, as, as ways to get as much data out of the force as possible because I would like to change the standard from um, IoT being about sending small amounts of, of data out from, from single sensors and processing to being able to get bulk data out of the forest. Because if we do that, then uh, you basically keep an archive of raw data of these places forever that we can continue to use and reanalyze as, as processing gets better. So um, I think that if you think of a microphone as a sensor, which of course it is, um, and we apply the same, and, and you think of audio that's being recorded as the raw data. If we could do that same level of like bulk raw data for, for all sensors that are out there, I think we wouldn't be putting so much um, emphasis on what a device is able to detect and more on what a device is able to collect. And then we can analyze that um, for decades and centuries in the future. Because uh, we're really at an interesting time when it comes to that. No, I think that's, that's actually a really good point. So, you know, you mentioned streaming audio, you talk about bulk data. Other to any other technologies, I mean, from your perspective that you think are expected to sort of play this big role in sort of rainforest conservation in the near future? Oh, communications. All, it's all communications, right? I mean, the, the the infrastructure that we rely upon, that we piggyback on, is is, is huge, and that right now takes the form of um, of cell service. Soon it'll be satellite service. It'll be all sorts of things that are there. This is one of those things that just gets better because everyone has a use for it, and that's huge in conservation because it's not necessarily how tech how techy things are. It's the transparency that technology allows allows us to have. So you ask about whether someone can go off in the forest with a blogging truck and cut down trees, and how is it possible that no one knows about it? Well. If they can't do that without getting caught, or they can't get down with people knowing, it's it's much harder for them to do it. So, the transparency that uh, the connectivity and infrastructure allows is really the the big boon for for conservation. I think. Yeah, I, I, one thing that I love about the work that you're doing is, I mean, there's obviously an immediate need, but I I, I love that your vision and focus is on collecting data and, and understanding how that. Uh, really applies to the future, right? So it's not just about the immediate need, but it's that collection of all of that data that will help us down the road um, become smarter, more educated. And the more smart, the smarter we are, the more educated we are, obviously, you know, the more we can do to solve this problem. Um, from an, uh, uh, we'll, we'll take this a little bit politically for a second, not too, too far, but, you know, the current presidential administration calls climate change, the president, President Biden calls it the, ex the existential threat to humanity. And there's been, you know, heightened focus on environmental justice. 
in your opinion, how, how can we all be part of a solution and specifically sort of related to rainforest conservation? A hundred small solutions and helping local people on the ground. Conservation is not like a, a top-down sort of thing. It's, a, it's, it's about finding local people who are going to protect these areas for generations to come, and we need them to. Um, the good news about climate change itself um, is that it is, it is reversible. Uh, it is possible for us to take carbon out of the atmosphere, and that'll be a huge part of what we do. First, we have to slow down our, our releases, and then it can be taken out. However, um, that's not all that humans need to survive. We don't just need a, a cooled planet. Um, we need the biodiversity that to rely upon to, to, to keep things going. And, you know, extinctions are not reversible, at least not uh, within the scope of a few tens of millions of years. So um, the extent to which we, ha we live in this moment of extraordinary change, climate, climate change is already underway. Um, animals, many animals are going extinct and it's terrifying and, and something we all need to, to pay attention to. Um, but it's also important for us to realize that it's happening. And this is possibly the biggest change the planet has gone through since the human race came to be, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. So at no point prior to this have we, has there been this much change um, in our planet that we have the chance of witnessing. And I think it's important for us to recognize that this is happening now, uh, put out as much as possible and capture this moment to a standard that hundreds of years from now, should we survive, uh, we we will have a chance to look back and understand this moment that much better. So we're almost trying to capture like almost the 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 the, the, the documentarians of of un uh, of the uncurated nature at this moment, so in the future people can look back and understand it that much better. When it comes to what everyone can do, I think it's partially that uh, we have to find a way by which we're not just collecting and asking questions that today would matter, but what are the questions that we, that it can be answered um, and still be interesting to people over the course of the next uh, few years, decades, and the rest, and, and realize that this is not something that we, that we solve in the next 10 years. It's something that can go terribly wrong over the next 10 years, but it's something that we'll, we'll have to more or less change the way the human race lives on Earth in order for us to address it. Uh, and so we're looking for an entire an entire shift in our in our approach to, to the planet, uh, and one that people can live with. Uh, and one that people can, can appreciate. And that begins with everybody, but also begins with sort of uh, with realizing that it's not just about one thing. It's about a, it's about a hundred little solutions. Um, and not all of them are, are, are all that obvious. Not all of them are all that all that cool or sexy. Yeah, I, I think the the concept of, you know, extinction exists of animals or species, whatever, as a result of decisions that we all make every single day. I think once we wrap our heads around that and we're willing to own that, that's when you can start to make change. I think that if we always look to someone else to be the one who's going to solve this problem, I, I don't think we're ever, you know, we, we can get there. We all have to realize that every day the decisions that we make in our life and, and how we react to certain things and the impacts those have on the environment, the climate, all of those things are all things that causes, you know, animals to become extinct. And, and we have to own that, you know. And, and, and I know for me, it's one thing that obviously very passionate about. I live here in Florida and, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to live on a waterway that, you know, I see manatee every year going up and down, you know, the canal that I live on. And, you know, they're just getting to a point where they're becoming an endangered species as a result of, you know, the lack of food and all of that because of a lot of different reasons. And there's nothing bothers me more that to think that like, we all have a part of that, right? There's something that is relying on us in order to, for them to survive. And, and we're not, you know, we're not doing our part to make sure that that's possible. That, 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 that to me becomes very troublesome, which is, I know why 
you know, you do a lot of the work that you're doing and why I was so interested in talking to you. Um, if, if you could use one word to describe what you do, is, is it an inventor, a technologist, an environmentalist, or, or how, how would you describe yourself? I, I, I like, I like, uh, I like inventor, uh, particularly because I think it focuses on, on more of the strong suits. I mean, so much of what I do has to do with trying to, to, to build up this organization, Rainforest Connection, but I would, uh, going, going through that every day, I can tell you my strengths are far more in the, in the invention category. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, so sometimes it's about, it's about hacking, not just technology and things you have around you, but hacking social structures that exist in places where we need to make a difference. Um, that's probably my, my, uh, my specialty, if anything. So, you know, there's obviously a, a ton to admire about your work. Um, from your perspective, what, what, what is the one thing about it that you love the most? Well, it's so easy to really enjoy serving the right people, right? And mm-hmm. so you talked earlier about what can we all do for climate change? In our case, look, look, I'm, I'm from USA, San Francisco. Uh, there's a potential for enormous carbon uh, carbon outputs for me, and in fact, there have been for much of my life. Um, but you know, I could spend, I could drive an electric car, I could, I could change my life in that way. Nothing that I could possibly do would have a couple orders of magnitude as much impact as somebody off in the forest protecting just a few hectares of their land from illegal logging, because that's how much carbon is stored in there and will be released. So, in many ways, the 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 most thing that the, 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 me and my whole organization and all of us could do sometimes to, to address issues that, are, that are affect everybody is help somebody else just exist and do the work that they want to do. Um, and so what's so important about our work is serving those people, making sure that they're protected, making sure that they, because again, that's not going to be all of their priorities. Their priorities are not just about protecting the forest. Well, you have to make that, make, make sure that that's a part of, part of what they do, uh, not by affecting, not by, you know, imposing that on them, but by incentivizing them and, and making it clear that we all rely upon them to protect that forest. We're going to build the tools and technology to make it as safe as possible, to make it as effective as possible, and so that we can work together on it. Um, but ultimately, it's about them knowing that we care. And when they find out the entire world cares about them just protecting their backyard, and we all rely upon them to do it, then um, then, they, then they do it. And that's exactly what we all need and, in fact, require and um, in order for us to to get through this, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in um, in one of the talks that you gave, um, you gave an example of sort of coming upon some illegal loggers, and you mentioned that just showing up is sometimes enough of a deterrent to prevent people or them from coming back. You know, I think that's probably just a, a, a one thing that I, I think everyone should think about. Just be willing to show up. Um, because it doesn't require a whole lot. It doesn't require you to sign petitions or do things or, or get in, in, in that level. Sometimes just being willing to show up and, and do whatever your part may be as significant or insignificant is really a key part. And so, you know, one of the things that I asked you, you know, how can people sort of help be part of the solution for rainforest conservation? But I guess my, my last question to you would be, how can people help you and your organization? We obviously have a great group of folks that are listening to this. And uh, if there's a way that we could help you in the work that you're doing, I'd love to understand that and share that with the team just so that, that we can we can try to be, do our part in making a change here. Thanks. Uh, and, and I think the way that you can show up is, is becoming a part of what we do. What we do is intended to be shared with everybody. We aren't just building technology for, for people off in the forest. They may be our, our, more, our primary stakeholders, but we're streaming audio in from around the world. And you can use our platforms to both listen to any of the places that we have around the world, enjoy the forest, get insights about species you care about, and use our scientific tools 
tools for free to, to dive in and sort of contribute to our work. So uh, what's going to allow us to keep the forest intact beyond just stopping people from cutting it down is uh, is to is to learn more about it, to, to gain insights and show there's a lot of stuff happening there. And that's not something that a team of our size can accomplish on our own. So instead, we build the tools to allow anyone to be a part of it. So um, go on the App Store or Play Store, uh, you know, grab our apps and, and, and stay tuned because uh, you can listen anywhere on the forest, but uh, we're going to release some cool new things that we hope allow you to to connect with nature uh, where you are and elsewhere in the world um, over, over you know, the coming years and hopefully forever. Yeah. So, Topher, I have to say, I, I knew this was going to be an amazing uh, discussion. Uh, you didn't disappoint. Um, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Oh, um, I, I'm, I'm anxious to continue to follow you, uh, the work that you're doing. I think it's it's commendable. And um, I'm really excited for you and, and, and the success that you've had. And, and I think there's a, a big future for, for you and your organization. So thank you so much for being a part thank of this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been really great to, to meet you and your team. So before we sign off, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Brian Raleigh, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. Think.